the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Morning, church. How are we all going? It's good. Well, that's good. Good start. If you can read the door. I know, it's my scrawly writing. Julia always makes fun of me for not being able to do E's properly. And yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, uh, yeah, all right. We're continuing in Hebrews today. <laughs> Hebrews? Yeah, all right, let's move on. <laughs> We're continuing in Hebrews. <laughs> and the last... Yeah, I shouldn't have started that, should I? And the... <laughs> The last session, if you can remember back, we had Michael Cook speak last week, which was great. Before that, Jeremy spoke, and it was the first part of Hebrews 12, which was, it was great. Um, focus on shedding the weights that so easily slow us down. So today we're looking at Hebrews 12, 14 to 17. That one right there. And it, it says this, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." Cool. Okay, so uh, just a reminder for, uh, for those who missed it maybe in previous messages or weren't here, Hebrews is a letter written to Jewish Christians. Uh, they were living probably about 30 years after the death of Jesus. I always remember Ivy made the great point. Uh, they were probably facing quite a bit of persecution, especially from friends and family, about following Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews is urging them to press on in their faith for Jesus. And this passage is no exception. So first off, they're um, instructed to follow peace with all men, or seek peace with all men. Okay, it's a fairly straightforward concept. And they're to follow and seek holiness, or else they won't seek the Lord. They're warned about falling short of the grace of God, uh, because bitterness could spring up and trouble them and cause many to be defiled. So that's another word for like corrupted or ruined. Then there's this man mentioned by name, Esau. Is anybody familiar with him? Yep. So he's someone, sorry, that's the one, Jacob's brother. So he's someone who's supposedly sold his birthright, however you do that, and he's, um, and he's been rejected of a blessing. And he's tried to repent, but evidently failed in that repentance. So initially, when I first read this, I thought, oh, that phrase, uh, without which no man shall see the Lord, reminds me of another verse. And I've got uh, bonus holiness points for anyone who can guess what I was thinking. Nope, not giving any out. All right. Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So it kind of relates, but it doesn't really lead me anywhere further. Failing the grace of God is a scary prospect. How exactly does that happen? So I thought maybe this Esau guy is, is an example of that. Uh, so naturally my curiosity led me to search out his story, um, which we're, uh, and that's where we're going to begin. So his story is primarily found in Genesis, 
chapter 25, it's kind of spread all over Genesis. That's an earlier one, sorry guys. Um, but yeah, anyway. Uh, Esau was born to Isaac, the son of Abraham. And he was a twin, as McCall uh, brought up. His brother was Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. And Esau was born first. So he, he had the birthright, which entitled him to double the portion of his father's inheritance. So all the sons would get something, but firstborn gets double and becomes the leader of the family. So Esau and his brother Jacob were complete opposites growing up. The Bible says that Esau was a cunning hunter, he was a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man. So I mean gentle, quiet, dwelling in tents. And when I think of two brothers that don't quite see eye to eye, I think of my cousins, the sons of my mother's sister. They used to fight like absolute cats and dogs. I remember going up to visit them in Auckland one time, and within like 10 minutes of me arriving, uh, they had erupted into this massive brawl, uh, wrestling each other to the ground right in front of me. And I was just kind of sitting there like trying to make conversation. <laughs> so you guys been up to much lately? How's school going? <laughs> All while they're trying to choke each other out. <laughs> One of them coincidentally is named Israel. And if his other brother Sam really wanted to rile him up, he used to call him Ishmael. Which, which I thought was a pretty clever biblical insult. <laughs> Anyways, I, I digress. I know parents aren't supposed to have favourites, but we all know that some parents uh, relate to some children more than others. And Esau's family was no exception. So Esau with his, was his father's favourite. His dad, Isaac, loved to eat the meat that Esau brought home from hunting. And Jacob preferred to hang around the tents and cook with his mum, Rebecca. Now, their story takes this interesting turn when Esau comes home from hunting one day absolutely starving, like near-death hungry. And Jacob was hanging around cooking some porridge, and Esau liked the look of that porridge. But when he asks for some, instead of just helping out his starving brother, Jacob proposes a deal. So it's Genesis 25, he says, And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit me, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. So life goes on after this for Esau and Jacob, marriage, kids, all the standard stuff. And then before they know it, their dad, Isaac, calls Esau in to see him and says, Behold, now I am old. And I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, thy bow, and go out to the field and bring me some venison. And make me savoury meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. So Esau was to go out, hunt, kill something, cook up a nice rogan josh, or maybe a vindaloo, give it to his dad Isaac, and then receive the blessing as the firstborn son. The thing is, Rebecca, uh, Esau and Jacob's mum, overhears the conversation, and we all know who she side, whose side she is on, unofficially. So while Esau is off hunting, she hatches a plan, goes and speaks to Jacob, tells him to go out and kill a couple of their goats, and they're going to be the ones that are going to cook up this feed for Isaac. So Isaac is he's blind, um, so he's not going to be able to see which son comes in, but he's not silly. 
Esau is a very hairy man, probably has a voice for radio. Uh, whereas Jacob is a little more, how you say, uh, me- metropolitan. <laughs> no matter though, his mum Rebecca covers him in the, in the skins of the goats that they had for dinner, dresses him in Esau's clothes for the smell, and sends him into his father Isaac anyway, pretending to be Esau. So after Isaac um, questions Esau's voice, Jacob lies multiple times, assures him that he is Esau. Once Isaac feels the hair of the goats on his arm, he's finally convinced. He goes ahead, he blesses Jacob, thinking it's his firstborn son, Esau. Makes him the ruler of his whole family. In the meantime, the real Esau gets back from his hunt, cooks up the feed for his dad, brings it into him, ready to receive his blessing. But he gets a rude awakening when he is told that someone has already been blessed in his place. And it turns out that it was his younger brother, Jacob. Now naturally, Esau doesn't take that very well. Genesis 27.41 says, And Esau hated Jacob, wherein the blessing that his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So basically, once the tonguey for his dad was over, Esau's planning to kill his brother. Jacob's warned of this by his mum, flees to a neighbouring land, and uh, they don't meet each other face to face for another 20 years, all over a birthright. But we see through the Old Testament that this birthright is an important and significant thing. Even today, we have a king of England based purely on the fact that he was born before all of his siblings. The Bible also describes Jesus as having a birthright. Romans 8 9 talks about that. this. He said, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, now, don't get me wrong, don't get it twisted. This isn't talking about Jesus being created. This is saying that Jesus was the first to die and be born again in the way that he's the first to realize God's ultimate plan for humanity to defeat death and be resurrected. Colossians 1.18 goes on and says he's, he's the firstborn from the dead. And as the firstborn son, what does Jesus inherit? Way back in Hebrews 1.2, Ivy spoke about this. Um, it says, Hath in the day spoken to us by his son, whom he have appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So the birthright of Jesus is everything. Not a bad haul, eh? <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Now, just like Esau, Jesus was also tempted to sell his birthright. The devil offered Jesus everything he could think of, even control of the whole world. But Jesus, also starving hungry, chose not to satisfy his flesh with food or earthly power. But he rebuked the devil and carried on in his father's will. The Bible says that Esau, on the other hand, despised his birthright. And bearing in mind, this wasn't any old birthright. It's not like you're inheriting your mum's old spoons or something. Genesis, they might be nice spoons, I'll just put that out there. Genesis 17, 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and they shall call his name Isaac, Esau's dad, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So Esau's the seed after him part. So he was to be included in the line of those who would inherit the promise of salvation. To be part of this seed would have been the greatest honour and blessing that one could hope for, but Esau didn't see it that way. He gave it up for a bowl of porridge. 
preferring to feed his immediate fleshly desires than obtain the spiritual promise of restoration through the Messiah. So when I look back at that passage, Hebrews 12, the first one, please, Ivy and Daniel, question comes to mind. What appears to be the key in all this? So the key to pursuing peace with all men, the key to holiness, the key to avoiding bitterness and its troubles, the key to receiving the ultimate inherited blessing. When I look at that passage, to me, I think it's grace. So I've all probably heard the expression that grace is God's undeserved favour, his approval, his, his kindness. And we get this from well-known verses like Ephesians 2. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So I like the way John Piper puts it. Grace is what inclines God to give gifts that are free and undeserved by sinners. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you can't work to earn grace. It's free and undeserved. In New Zealand, the legal requirement for a gift is only satisfied, providing the gift was intended to be given, and the gift was delivered and accepted by the recipient. Now Esau, he lacked faith. He lacked faith in the birthright. He lacked faith in the promises. He didn't value them for what they truly were. I believe that his birthright was a gift that he hadn't fully accepted, and I believe he hadn't fully taken ownership of it. His brother Jacob, on the other hand, despite his shortcomings, understood exactly what f value this birthright held. To Jacob, it was worth the sacrifice. It was, it was worth risking a relationship with his brother and his family. It was worth leaving his home to go to a strange land. It was worth his own life. Jacob so valued that birthright. So God is full of grace towards mankind. The Bible talks about him making the sun rise on the good and evil and giving rain to the just and unjust. So you have to value the gift of what God is, is offering. Otherwise, you don't really care about whether you receive it or not. A friend of mine once told me, I couldn't become a Christian uh, because then I'd have to give up all the stuff I like. So when I heard that, basically what I got from that is he's telling me, I value the things of this world, like my excessive drinking or my fleshy things or my lustly desires, whatever, add to the list, more than what God has to offer. The crazy thing is, is that if you embrace Jesus and, and receive the power of his Holy Spirit, you will give those things up, willingly. <laughs> but most people just don't see the value in it. Esau was called a man of the field. And the fields often, often represented in the Bible as the earth. So in other words, Esau was a man of the world. He was concerned with the things that were right in front of his face, the, the steaming bowl of porridge. But say you go the other way from Esau. Say you, you embrace the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Then the Bible promises certain things. It says you'll be declared righteous in the sight of God. Romans 3.24. It said you'll be made holy. Hebrews 10.10. So when I read that, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, I, I think through faith in Jesus Christ, we're set apart, made holy and righteous, able to stand in the presence of God. So to that first part, I believe the, uh, the key is grace. Peace with all men is a pretty tall order. But again, I believe grace is the crucial element. 
because only through understanding the immense measure of grace that we ourselves have been gifted with, how could we ever seek to live out that grace and display it to those around us? A couple of weeks back, Murray brought up the topic of enabling grace with the leadership team. And that's something I've never really heard of or really considered. But the fact is, there's many verses in the Bible that point to the fact that grace is available to help us deal with those who are very hard to live in peace with. Paul talks about this enabling grace, one of the places he talks about it, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I am the least of the, impos- of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon me, and, the gra- and his grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all they, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. See, Paul knew exactly how far God's grace had brought him. And it was the grace of God that, that stirred him on in, in his labors for the kingdom. And Hebrews 4.16 reminds us that we can always boldly approach the throne of grace and find grace in, in our times of need. I believe grace is an acting power of God that can help us overcome our trouble, our lack of peace with others, even our bitterness. Even though Esau eventually forgave Jacob and they kind of reconciled, that was 20 years later. Plenty of time for bitterness to take root and bear fruit. I'm sure Esau probably told everyone who would have listened, especially in those early years, exactly what Jacob had done to him. In fact, the nation that descended from Esau, Edom, is spoken about in the book of Amos. In Amos 1.11 it says, Thus saith the Lord, for the transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did, te- did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. Mm. Now, although this verse isn't talking about Esau himself, it highlights that the nation that came from him constantly attacked the nation of Israel and always harbored anger towards them. Again, in Obadiah 1.10, it says, For thy violence, this is talking about the nation of Edom, against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and they shall be cut off forever. I don't think it's too much of a stretch uh, to say that the roots of that conflict between Esau and Jacob grew into a conflict between nations, leading a whole nation to be cut off. So earlier when we read about that many could be defiled, I believe that could be an example. Back to those two brothers, my cousins. They're both older and wiser. They certainly don't fist fight each other anymore. But they're still very different. And their mannerisms, uh, their interests, even their appearance. They could have so easily been like uh, many other siblings that I know, including siblings in my own family, who never speak to each other. However, along the course of their lives, something else changed. They became true born-again believers. They both faithfully serve and respect churches. They run prayer groups and home groups and study groups. They both have amazing testimonies. And their testimonies, I believe, are of the grace that God afforded them. So despite all their shortcomings, I think the overflow of that grace means that they're able to extend grace to each other and to those around them regardless of the circumstances. I love this verse. This verse challenges me a lot. It's Colossians 4, 6. 
Let your speech be always with grace, that you may know how to answer every man. And my question is, is our speech to each other always seasoned with grace? I bet if we all had a little ponder, we could think of someone that by worldly standards doesn't deserve our favour or kindness. Perhaps like Jacob, you've got someone in your life who's cheated you and lied and stole and ran away with something that, uh, of yours. But we have a decision. We can, we can take the approach of Esau or another approach. In fact, I'll put it out there. If you're picturing a person right now, and trust me, I've got someone that I can picture quite easily, would you be willing, it's a bit cliche, but would you be willing to actively pray for them? I'll take it a step further. Would you be willing to fast for them? to actively sacrifice something for them, to genuinely seek a blessing for them, remembering that um, God has forgiven us of so much. Mm. It's a challenge for me, <laughs> certainly. It's hard enough for fast, to fast about things that I want, let alone for someone that um, might never appreciate it or even know that I had anything to do with it. And I don't really, it's, it's God. But mm. Perhaps it's even yourself that you need to extend a little bit of grace to. And finally, we come to the blessing, the inheritance. We talked earlier about Christ having a birthright. And amazingly, through faith in God's grace, we get to share in it. It says in Romans 8:17, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, which is us, they are the sons of God and daughters of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then ears, ears of God, and joint ears with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Now let's be real, when we read that, when I read that, it's pretty wild that not only would we be ears, that we would be joint ears with the firstborn. I mean, do you guys believe that? Good. <laughs> I struggle to believe that some days. Like when I read that, I, when I first read that, looking through the study, I thought, wow. <laughs> so by trusting in Christ Jesus, we go from being desperate, hell-bound sinners to sons and daughters of the living God. And not only that, we get to share in the inheritance of the firstborn, <laughs> the one who actually did all the work. So my, my question is, are we living that truth out? Uh, do we consider that when worldly troubles come knocking, when we're struggling to get out of bed and, and when someone cuts us off in traffic and when someone disagrees with us? Unfortunately, we don't have unlimited time to make our decision about whether we accept the grace of God or not. Again, look at Esau. It says he tried to go back and repent. It was too late. He even shed tears about it. But the Bible says there's going to be tears and gnashing of teeth in hell too. So it won't make a difference. I say again, don't let God's grace for you go unclaimed. Don't let it be in vain. The gospel is such good news that it almost appears too good to be true. But the Bible says that it is. And hey, what do you have to lose? So I say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't have to earn your grace. Because if we did, we wouldn't make it. And uh, we thank you that you have been so graceful to us, uh, despite all that we are, despite all that we've done, and that not only um, 
are we freed from, from the slavery of sin, redeemed, uh, not having to pay the price of, of our actions, but we're actually adopted into your family. And not just that, we share in the inheritance of your firstborn son, Jesus. So we thank you for all these things, Lord God, and, and, and everything else too. The rain and the sunshine, all you've blessed us with, the testimonies that we heard earlier today. And we surrender the rest of the week to you and uh, ask, Lord God, that uh, you'd help us be stewards of your grace. Mm, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.